0: From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: Well, what it means to you, Mr. CEO or Mr. CFO or managing partner of the practice, is what this means to you is that you have $250,000 at risk because your days in AR is higher than the benchmark.
0: That's Patty Peets talking about revenue cycle management. We'll hear more from Patty about empowering your staff for growth and the rise in overhead costs later in the show. But first, a word from our sponsor. The rapid rate of industry change, increases in staff burnout, and patients becoming payers make it challenging to stay in control of your practice performance and get paid for the services you provide. Master your revenue cycle with the number one cloud-based revenue cycle management solution, CareCloud Concierge, a strategic combination of modern and intuitive software, real-time analytics, and our expert revenue cycle management team to help your practice improve profitability and eliminate administrative burdens while staying ahead of industry change. To learn more and request your free custom revenue cycle assessment today, visit carecloud.com or call 1-877-342-7517. Based on our research, MGMA members and other healthcare professionals tell us that revenue cycle management is one of the most important aspects of running a healthcare practice. We're often looking for experts to shed light on this topic in new and exciting ways. Our guest today is Patty Peets. Patty has been in the healthcare industry for over 30 years. She started in the health IT side of the business and she now serves as a senior director of revenue cycle management, where she helps ambulatory clinics and hospitals improve financial performance through process improvement and automation. I asked Patty about a recent MGMA poll that said nearly 70% of practices reported an increase in overhead expenses.
1: Yeah, that, that's a high percentage, you know, um, and it you know understanding the complexities and overhead can really just be that right complex, and it is understandable to me that seventy percent of your audience would have responded that way with some of the challenges that we're all facing today. So, you know, there's always been an interest in keeping overhead down, but there does seem to be a sense of urgency which would kind of explain the results of your poll. Um, there's a couple of things happening, I think, that can be attributed to that increase um, in overhead. One, of course, is baseline staffing cost. I mean, staffing costs are typically the largest expense in any practice, which kind of makes it a good place to start, right? When you start thinking about where are the overhead um, increases coming from. you You know, basically a practice has, has had to increase staffing based on the transition to value based care. So I would say that the transition to value based care is one of the contributing factors. The staffing requirement um, increases can really be seen heavily on the clinical support staff side which of course, which is understandable because of the focus on the value-based care. Um, I don't think I need to explain to anyone listening to the podcast today that the increase in clinical task or the addition of task needed to, by the clinical staff um, to make sure that the quality of care is being conducted and the satisfaction of the patients is at its best and the outcomes are, are what they need to be to indicate you know, an increase in quality of care. So just measuring the outcomes alone has added to the staffing needs of a practice on the clinical side, right? So I think that definitely is one of the contributing factors. Um, There's also a major shift in patient responsibility over the last um, two to three years that's also having an impact on staffing requirements. I'm not really sure that practices have come to fully recognize that shift, you know, either now some absolutely have but i do think that there are some practices that really have not recognized what that shift to patient responsibility has done on the practice if you look at the high deductible plans and the out-of-pocket expenses the requirement to have in uh, the requirements to have in place processes to collect that patient money in my opinion is like mission critical so if you take this seriously as you should you need to look at your front end operational processes. And there are many practices that I have worked with that are understaffed when it comes to front end operations to, to begin with. And then you, when you add the burden of patient responsibility collections, chances are you are not staffed appropriately on the front end. So two things happen here. If you have increased your front end staff, your overhead probably increased You know, as a percentage of your revenue, right? And if you have not increased your front end staff, your overhead probably has increased as a percentage of your revenue. Now, how can that be? I just said, if you have or have not, either one, maybe you increased your overhead. Because if you have not increased your front end staff, I can almost guarantee your collection percentages have suffered, which means you're leaving money on the table thereby it increases your percentage of revenue that is allocated to your staffing cost and then if you have increased your front end staff and it hasn't produced the increase in productivity or revenue then you definitely have increased the percentage of your revenue that's allocated to staffing costs so staffing cost is a big piece of this puzzle right and uh, the, the shift of patient responsibility is having a major impact on that. So um, I think that's very interesting to look at that, that particular component of it. Um, and you have to, you also have to look at what your staffing salaries are. So not only is there been an increase in staffing requirements, what are you paying your staff? I mean, look, staying power is important, I get it. You know, turnover can be very expensive for any business, um, but you have to be careful. You need to make sure that you have the right people in the right role doing the right things at the right price. So if you've had to raise your salaries, you should also be assessing the personnel roles and shifting some things around to make sure that you align the staffing cost with the roles and the value of those roles that they bring to the practice. Uh, you have to consider the contribution of employee to the higher than market salary if you have raised some of your staffing uh, salaries and benefits. And then benefits is another one, right? So if you think about benefits, um, I mean, staffing cost is typically, you know, the, the largest uh cost that, that a practice has. And then part of that is also going to be the benefits. So, I mean, if you look at benefits, that might be three to 6% of your total revenue is spent on benefits to your employees. So you have to look at that. And if you look at the health insurance premiums across the industry, health insurance premiums have increased, right? So more than likely, your benefits to your employees has also increased. So you need to assess that um, as well and figure out where you fall in that. So, I know that was a lot of information, but those are those are a couple of the things that I think are the biggest contributing factors to the increase in overhead, Daniel.
0: Right. Now, you've identified the expenses that uh, they're rising, but offline you and I communicated, and you also believe there are untapped revenue opportunities at practices. You're gonna be speaking on that topic at MGMA's annual conference. Your your session is actually I, I love this title, Empowering Your Staff as Ambassadors for Growth. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Is is there really an opportunity for staff if properly equipped to drive growth? I mean how how does that happen?
1: Well, absolutely there is. So, you know, employees are the lifeblood of a practice. So by empowering your staff, you know, you will improve performance, care and services that your practice is providing, no doubt, period, right? So that's because employee engagement really drives the company performance and growth if you think about it. So think about, for example, think about the patient experience for a minute employee experience will impact patient experience I mean there's plenty of data that supports that patient consumerism is real and so what is patient consumerism well frankly it's it's fairly a new concept to a lot of people still um, some of the high performing practices and if you look at mgma's um, statistics you'll see you know a a clear difference in a high performing practice and an average or non better performing practice. Um, It's, it's the reality um, that patient consumerism is playing a role in this. And so patient consumerism is real and it's really the reality that patients are now seeing themselves as consumers for really the first time in the healthcare setting. Now, obviously we're, we're all consumers in a, Every other aspect of our biz- of our life, right? Where, you know, we get up and we, you know, listen to Spotify or, you know, we do something technologically on our iPhone, our smartphone, or uh, computer. We, I mean, I order groceries online now and then just go pick them up. I mean, it's just crazy, right? So we are definitely consumers in every other aspect of our life, but in the healthcare setting, we it hasn't really been that right so because we we as we're, we go in as a patient and in the past we might may have a copay or we may not but now back to that whole shift of patient responsibility because of the high deductible plans and the out of pocket expenses now more of that my healthcare cost is coming out of my pocket therefore i'm going to see myself more as a consumer and then the other thing is that the technology boom where if every other aspect of my life um I have a modern experience, except when I'm in the healthcare setting, that starts to play a role in my experience that I have with that practice. So that means that they have demands. Patients now have demands that need to be met or they'll leave and seek healthcare elsewhere. So your front end staff is mission critical to this effort. So, And not only will will this impact patient retention, it actually has a huge effect on your collections of the patient responsibility. So, I mentioned that shift earlier. You know, it's critical that the processes are in place to collect money up front, and your staff is the gatekeeper to that whole experience. So, you're talking about empowering your staff um, to help you retain patients, that whole gatekeeper on the front end operational process is critical to that that whole experience. So um, if you're addressing this need, then you may have already felt the impact on operation cost, uh, which may have increased your overhead. And so you need to look at the technology that's out there also, because there is newer technology that you can also incorporate into your practice that can that help lower some of that overhead expense that also is addressing that patient experience on the front end so that you're giving your patients for example there's technology to where you give your patients the ability to download an app on their phone so that they can check in themselves when they walk into your office they can you know electronically fill out little Intake forms. They can pay their bills on their smartphone while they're sitting in your waiting room. Those types of things. They can they can finish with a patient satisfaction survey. All those things are things that are increasing your patient satisfaction. So that's talking about the front end um, of your staff being ambassadors for growth, right? But all through your organization, you need to provide staff access to support resources, information, and opportunities to learn and grow because they are the ambassadors of your practice. And that will have a positive effect on employee job satisfaction and the quality of care they provide throughout your entire practice. So, I mean, burnout is real and you want to prevent that. And so you need to promote leadership in your organization as well, um, and it will give you a tenfold payback if you really start to incorporate that. Um, there, you know, there's basically four models of leadership where you've got authoritarian, exploited, um, exploitative, the the benevolent, autocratic the consultative and the participatory, right? So, I mean, you don't have to be a neuroscientist to understand that the consultative and the participatory styles will reap much greater benefits. So if you're not incorporating motivational and leadership things into your your staff as well, you're missing the opportunity to produce those types of leaders to help them be the ambassadors for growth that you actually need. Um, You know, another big area of opportunity to empower your staff is really on the clinical side. So this probably is a topic that we could just do completely as a separate topic and speak for an hour just on this. But, Mm -hmm. you know, medical assistants have been identified as one of the biggest opportunities for practices to grow their practice. And so medical assistants, you know, is... It's one of the fastest growing occupations in the US. And the traditional clinical role of the MA is kind of limited typically to escorting patients to the room, taking vital signs, noting the chief complaint in the record, and then leaving the exam room, you know, unless there's assistance needed with a procedure or something. But the positive interactions may have been limited in the past for a medical assistant. But that role is now being transformed in many, many settings. And so the introduction or expansion of medical assistance into a practice, um, like I said, could be a topic all upon itself. Um, But there's a lot of evidence for practice innovation that includes new roles for MAs. And that data and evidence, I mean, there's a lot of great data around that. but most of the time, there's additional training that's needed, you know, which is going to cost money. So, And then morale can also be impacted if other clinical staff is feeling threatened. So I'm not saying that anything is easy here, right? I'm just saying that there's a lot of opportunity to empower your, your staff um, as ambassadors of growth and the medical assistant um piece of that component is extremely interesting. And there's a lot of data out there that you can read about how that's being very successful, but you do have to be careful um, in that area.
0: When you work with a practice, do you recommend a strategic plan of action so you can actually put these concepts into place?
1: I absolutely do. So, you know, Probably the strategic plan of action to go into a lot of detail would, again, we could spend an hour just right. talking about that. But just to kind of simplify it and break it down, if you think about what what is the strategic plan of action need to be for this, right? Number one, absolutely, I think that every practice needs to do a financial performance assessment. So you may ask, what is that? Okay, what that is is that you wanna look at all of your financial data you wanna calculate calculate every single key performance indicator that there is available to calculate. And then you wanna see how do you measure up. MGMA provides tremendously valuable benchmarks. So you can take every single KPI such as look at what your AR over 120 is as a percentage of your total AR look at your benchmark total AR i mean do you have more in your accounts receivable than you should from a benchmark standpoint look at your days in AR some people think days in AR is the you know the 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 gift of all gifts right it it tells everything i personally think that there's not one single KPI that tells the whole story. I actually am a huge advocate of not focusing on one KPI or one set of KPIs but looking across the board at every KPI because just for example, you can take an accounts receivable KPI and you can make that KPI look healthy, but guess what? There's a there's a number of ways to make that look healthy. One of them might be adjusting things off that otherwise could have been collected and then your AR may look healthy, but it doesn't mean that you collected all of your potential collectible dollars, right? So I think it's very important to look at not only one set of KPIs, but look across the board at all KPIs. And I am a huge, passionate believer that data tells all the story, right? So it's all in the data and you can trust your data by looking at the data, assessing that data, calculating your KPIs, and then you will see that those KPIs start to tell a story. And then that's the number one place that you wanna start is you wanna do that financial performance assessment and find out, is there really an opportunity to make some improvements in revenue because you're lacking in certain areas? And what does that dollar value look like? What is the opportunity and how much money is possibly being left on the table? Then you want to start to explore where those areas are and why it's happening. And the very next thing I would do from a strategic plan is I would immediately go into a complete personnel staffing assessment, where you want to look at not only the the people that you have in those roles, but you want to look at every role and every function of your practice and make sure that you have the appropriate number of staff in each of those areas. Um, and then you want to look at what those staffing costs are to make sure that you're paying appropriately for the value that those roles bring to your practice. Then you obviously wanna do number three, like a cost analysis of all of your other costs too, where you're looking at uh, supplies, equipment, labs, all of the things that go into every single cost component of your practice to do a full blown cost analysis. Uh, And then I, I would also suggest two more very simple things. And that is an employee satisfaction survey, and a patient satisfaction survey. Um, and then those two things can kind of also tell you where you need to hone in on uh, the employee personnel assessment and make sure that your employees are satisfied. You know, I mentioned where you need to incorporate leadership and motivational things into your into your practice. Absolutely, you should do that. Um, if you do that, it's going to just Um, you'll you'll get tenfold results in doing that. So that employee satisfaction survey can give you insight into what the real need of you doing some of those things are for your employees. Um, And then the patient satisfaction survey will give you a lot of insight into what types of patient experiences are your patients having. And then that will kind of address some of those things that we talked about when I talked about the patient consumerism thing. So those are kind of five things that I would that I would highly recommend for any strategic plan of action uh, to put some of those concepts into place.
0: Mm-hmm. So once you've put these new ideas into play, into the practice, how do, you, how do you best measure it? And what's the time frame? When can you really see that story take hold?
1: Well, I mean, the time frame usually, I would say that a lot of um, you're talking about like change management, right? So any any big strategic plans or things that you do to make changes, I think that you're gonna it's gonna be at minimum a three to some a three to six month window before you start seeing some of those results from your strategic plan of action, right? Um, and I think that's just kind of an in general a timeline where I think that you need to give yourself three to three to six months to start seeing some of the results. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that you put the action uh, to place and and you know get everybody on board.
0: That's right. So I wanted to return to your presentation again. So you've walked through a number of things that you're going to cover uh, in your presentation, but. I know that our audience, they love tools and takeaways when they go to a presentation. Is there anything that they can take home with them? What can they expect to not only learn, but you know, take home with them and then able, be able to put into action?
1: Well, first of all, some of the takeaways, I think, from the podcast today is really just act now, right? um really do something right now don't wait I mean there's no reason to wait I mean take action now but then if you if you the takeaways from the session at the MGMA conference is again I think that I hope the takeaways will be that people will feel compelled and motivated and energized to take uh, to put together a strategic action plan and then act upon it uh, immediately right um I think it's important to also know that when you empower your staff, it's fun to watch things happen. And so it's very important to then share that information with your staff and share those results. Um, I believe in measuring everything. So you know, when you get through with one of my sessions, you're going to have all kind of tools and ways on how to measure it. So you know if, it always comes down to the numbers. and like I said, the data tells it all. So what's very important is that if you're going to, for example, conduct the financial assessment, you want to make sure that you understand how to conduct that assessment, how to understand what those key performance indicators are telling you. And then more importantly, um, you know, I, I know a lot of practices that know how to calculate a KPI, right? So it's like, yeah, so my KPI, let's say my days in AR is like 50, which is higher than it needs to be. And let's say that the benchmark is 34 for my specialty. And I think what's really missing in some cases is that somebody may know how to determine that their KPI is 50, but what does that really mean? I mean, that's the piece that sometimes when I'm working with the practice, it seems like I'm filling that gap. And it's it's really fun for me because it's really not that hard to convert that to a dollar value, but a lot of people have never gone that extra step, right? That extra mile to where, yes, they know that their days in AR is 50, but they can't really tell you what does that mean to the practice? Well, there are true methods and techniques that you can use to take that that days in AR, and honestly, it's all mathematics, which I happen to love the, the subject of math, but you can take that days in ar that's 50 use a mathematical formula and say what does that mean to me And then you can literally convert it to a dollar value and say, well, what it means to you, Mr. CEO, or Mr. CFO, or managing partner of the practice, is what this means to you is that you have $250,000 at risk because your days in AR is higher than the benchmark. And if you were to get that days in AR down to 35, or 32, or 38, or whatever the benchmark is for your specialty, what that would mean is is an increase in cash uh, an influx in cash of you know 150,000 or 180,000 or the larger the practice it could be as much as 400,000 or even more as an immediate influx in cash if you could just take measures to bring that days in AR from 50 down to 35 the other thing is the importance of of how critically important it is. When you talk about the word empower, that is such a great word. Um, I just, I love the word empower because the way that you empower people, first of all, is you wanna share the plan with them. You want them to be part of the plan and you wanna share the results. And so even those people who have successfully incorporated their employees to be a part of strategic planning and a part of the plan that they put together, then they forget to share the results with them. And so don't forget that piece. Sharing the results is a reward I mean, you wanna reward your employees who have been incorporated as part of your plan. You wanna share those results so they get the fulfillment of what they did. I mean, it's all about uh, fulfilling people's lives. I mean, you know, I started off this year with a goal where, I mean, I've always felt like I, I, I did a good job in my professional life and I work really hard and, you know, I do all those things and I know a lot of people do. Right. Um, But I had a goal this year to where I needed to kind of work on my life work balance as well, because although I felt like I did really well on my professional side, I felt like, you know, I'm lacking some areas in my, on -hmm. my personal side. So, you know, I kind of personally had a goal of a like, of life work balance as being a goal that I wanted to improve in this year. And so if you apply that to every conversation that, that, that you even have, um, you know, this is the practice, the people that are running the practice, this is their life, but it's also their employees' lives, right? And so if you believe in that life work balance, then help your employees find it. And I'm going to tell you, if you help your employees find life work balance, Um, you will reap rewards tenfold. And part of that life-work balance is to include them in what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to accomplish. And so to me, using the word empowering your staff is just perfect for this topic.
0: Patty, thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Daniel. Um, Thanks for having me.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to CareCloud for sponsoring today's show. Also, thanks to our guest, Patty Peets. Patty can be heard speaking at MGMA's annual conference, October 13th through 16th in New Orleans. For more information, check out our annual conference blog at mgma.com fuse. To register, visit mgma.com slash big easy 19. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Craig Weberg, Rob Ketchum, Declan McGee, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.